This is the Halloween Unleashed Podcast, featuring the cutting room floor. And now, here are your hosts for the week. Welcome everybody to Halloween Unleashed. We are here, part two with Daniel Ferens. I'm with Dylan Cloud, the host of the of the cutting room floor. Dylan, how's everything going? Everything's going good, man. How you doing? You caught me mid-sip on the gluten-free beer, so it took me a second to respond. But I'm good. Everything's good. I'm I'm tired. I've had a big week already and uh, got uh, two more days. So I wanted to say absolutely loved the interview with James Grimm. Absolutely loved it. Um, that was probably one of, and not the favorite, but one of my favorite cutting room floors that you've aired, to be honest with you. I appreciate that. You know, James is a hell of a guy and, um, he's a great talker. Know, he, he is a great talker. And, and that's one thing I like in an interview is when I, you know, I, you know of course I have pre-prepared questions and I'm ready to talk about anything, but I, I do kind of like. When people kind of go off on not even a tangent, but just on, on I don't know what the word I'm, just, I'm looking for here, but you know he just goes on and he, he's such a great talker because he's got so much passion for the hobby and is and you know he, he's growing his artistic skill and you know he he's got so much potential ahead of him and he's just a good guy you know he's designed all the merchandise for for the cutting room floor and excuse me got more to come he's so damn talented and he's he's just so calm and collected and just such a positive dude and he just enjoys this so much from all aspects you know he's a big scream guy he's a big halloween guy i mean he just loves everything and, and his paint work is i mean he's getting exponentially better and it was great to talk to him and i just love getting to show people you know what other options there are out there and, and artists that are genuinely good human beings on top of being very talented so it's you know everyone doesn't have to deal with with all the dickheads and, and you know all that jazz what are you talking about? The narrative is is you have to deal with those guys. I mean, they are the they are the well respected members of this hobby that we're in. I mean, come on, Dylan. Use your head. Don't be brainwashed. Or I got a I got a t shirt idea. Oh i give it to me off air. Give it to me off air. No, you need it now. You need it now. No, give it to me off air. Ah, oh, god damn it. Oh, it's so good. Uh, ah. Okay, so any comments about uh, what we're going to hear today? Um, I'll just tell people, you know, keep an open mind and listen very closely because, you know, you, you guys cover a lot quickly. Um, but I would just, like I said last week, just continue to listen to his passion and how much respect he had for the series and just kind of consider how good it could have been if we got his full vision and how... Go ahead, sorry. And just kind of how, you know... During the whole experience, he, he, you know, other than the frustrations, he obviously had how he was just kind of grateful to be a part of, you know, such a great thing, you know, because, you know, he is truly a fan. And yeah, it definitely gave him a uh, career. But what I was going to say is, is, you know, what you're what you're hearing and what a lot of people are hearing for the first time is um, you're starting to understand why I defend the movie so much, because I've heard a lot of these stories in the past, which is why I knew what to ask him uh, versus just being like, tell us what it was like, you know, on, you know, cause he's answered that a million times. And we, we kind of covered that last week is my goal was to hit him with stuff 
that was going to peel that curtain back and allow us to peek behind the scenes at what it was like going through the process and what it was like to get things approved or get things done. And that was my goal was I wanted people to really understand again, who the man was and what he had to face going into that. And it's not, it's not, I mean, obviously he was able to bounce back. He's had a very promising career. He's had a very wonderful career and he continues to knock shit out of the park. But, you know, um, you know, if you, if, if you really go back and see some of the things that he had to overcome, it's astonishing that 25, 26 years later, he has the career that he does because that could have went south very quickly. And yeah, I would agree. And another thing I would I would caution people to do is to listen very closely because a lot of the things you're going to hear in this episode have, you know, Daniel's never talked about publicly before. So it's, you know, of course, you know, he doesn't spill any industry secrets or anything that he's not allowed to say. But he he tells a lot of good stories and puts out a lot of good info that you know we would definitely love to have on a DVD commentary. Yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely really cool that we that we've had the opportunity to have him on the show and that uh, we have him um, able to do like a like this mini series before we cut to today's episode. Um, still, a lot of people are asking, "Hey, I thought Marianne's interview was going to drop on January 31st," and that's not what I ever said. I said that I was going to interview her on the 31st. What happened was, is again, she got sick. She came down with what she thought was a cold. She was, her voice wasn't up, up and ready to go. So she's like, can we absolutely postpone for a week and I'll be ready for next week? Sure. No problem. And so then I talked to her on Thursday last week and she sounded like absolute death warmed over. And she said that she got some. Uh, she went to the doctor and found out that actually that this isn't a cold; it's strep throat. So she's been on uh, antibiotics, and she felt horrible. She's like, "I don't want you to think I'm blowing you off, and that you know um, I, I'm just feeling bad. You've been really cool about all this." And I'm like, "Are you kidding? You're sick. You know this is going to be a, a, a multi-hour podcast that we're that you're giving up." valuable time for i'm honored that you're going to do that first of all number two since you're going to be talking quite a bit i said if you're not up if you're not up to par why would i be mad about that you know it makes no sense you know go do what you got to do to get yourself well and yeah let's just let's just delay it for for another week i mean it's it's not like people paid a ticket and they're waiting for you you know, it's, it's not that, you know, it's, this is a hobby. This is a fun thing. Let's get her when she's absolutely feeling perfect and she could be her charming, chatty, lovable self that I've gotten to know. So let's just, let's just be patient a little bit, but never once did I say that her episode was going to drop on the 31st and see, once again, that's people not reading. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll just say this. Because I've reached out to you know certain alumni of, of the franchise and have gotten no response. So I mean, if she wanted to blow you off, she would just blow you off. She wouldn't talk to you at all. 
You know, yeah. if, it, she, if she didn't want to come on the show, she wouldn't have answered you in the first place or continued to talk to you as frequently as she is. So I think people just be patient. You know, it's going to be worth it in the end. If it's an extra two, three weeks, who gives a shit? You know, we got plenty of Dan Farrens for you in the meantime. Yeah, and then we got other episodes that we can do until she's able to do it. But we will be back in the middle of the episode, um, and we will talk about the first half, and then we will be back at the end of that one and close it out. So this is Halloween Unleashed, and enjoy Dan Farron's Part 2. with Halloween six and like in that first meeting differ from the second meeting. It's, I mean, obviously you had four years to think about it or maybe you yeah. didn't anymore. So how did that change? Well, um, you know, I remember one of the first things I, that was probably coming out of my mouth that I got cut off about was the words, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> really? How, how did that, how did she uh, kind of incorporate into the well, story? I was like, we got to try to get her back, you know, and, and most of it cut me off. Nope. She's a big star. She will never do these again. No. And then she comes back for the next one and says, as long as you erase everything Dan did, we'll do it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so that's just the irony of the whole thing. She's the the queen of the franchise again. Um, But in those days, uh, you have to remember she was doing big movies. She had just done True Lies. And, you know, she was, was, you know, she was a big star. Um, uh, so yeah, so that, 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 that discussion ended before it even began, you know, that, that we would get her back in any way, shape or form. Um, so, so we started talking about, you know, just where things left off with the five, his first question. And I think the question on everybody's mind is who is the mysterious stranger? Who is this man in black? We don't know who he is. Nobody knows who he was. It was all just thrown into the movie. Yeah, I think that they were. I think they were doing some really good drugs on the set of Halloween Five. I heard a couple stories of things that. I bet you (laughs) did. It was also the '80s too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but um, (laughs) that being said, though, but you know, I mean, they were kind of in this weird, you know, conundrum. Like, well, what do we do? You know, we don't. We introduced this plot device, this thread of of a new character. We don't know who he is. So, if you can convince me who this guy is, you know maybe we can do business is kind of the attitude of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of ran through a couple of things and it was funny. My ally in the room was Malik Akkad because he, I think kind of already in his head knew like some of the ideas that are, they had been spinning around just in, amongst themselves of what it could be. And I remember most of us saying, well, my son had an idea that it would be something to do with the hospital, with the Smith's Grove hospital. There would be something to do with that. And I think Malik had written his own kind of little treatment of a, of something that it could be. Um, and then, it, it, and then, and I said, well, you know, there was that doctor, you know, Dr. Wynn in the first film. And then they kept referring back to Dr. Hoffman in Halloween four. I was like, no, 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 not him. <laughs> not that guy. Right. It's the guy in the first one. And he said this line and like, that's kind of weird. And and he knew how to drive a car. Well, maybe somebody around here gave him lessons. You know, I, I kind of referenced that scene. And all of a sudden it was like, oh. And the other thing that I said in the meeting, very, I remember very well, was I talked about, um, you know, I think John Carpenter pitched the original movie saying, it's the boogeyman kills babysitters on Halloween. I think that was his pitch. Yep. My pitch was, it's Halloween meets Rosemary's Baby. 
I'm glad you covered that because I was going to say, was that, was that part of your original pitch? And then you stated that in 94 that they said, Oh, I don't, and then think, it I don't remember that that was in the Bible that I left him. And I didn't really have an original pitch. You know, I never got a chance to get that far in that first, you know, 10 minute, you know, meet and greet, I'll call it. Um, I can, I could picture this, and if you could uh, just bear with me for a minute, yeah, yeah. No, this, is a, this is a funny little sidebar, is every now and then I'll do my, my half-hearted imitation of Mustafa, so... Um, oh, me too. <laughs> I was like, you know, then then very young man came in, he met with me, and the word Rosemary's baby, it clicked with right. me. You know, right, right. So, right. Yeah. you know, my maybe, imitation maybe of him is like he would he would try to intimidate me, and he 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 always had a little glint in his eye when he would do it because he knew he was teasing me, and he knew I was terrified. So, but he would sure. always, he would call me whenever I would hear his voice on the phone, it would always start like this, Daniel, <laughs> <laughs> like the ball is about to like the hammer is about to fall on your head. You know, <laughs> yeah. When you get that, you don't know what's coming after that. You don't. So the, to this day, whenever I hear from, from Malik and I get a call from him, it's, he does his dad's voice to this day. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And now we, you know, it's, we, we laugh. Um, but anyway, so that was the beginning. And, and, I, and that's, that was the click. That was the thing that I think I said in that room that made him go, I get it. And then I remember in that same pitch I brought up, Again, this wasn't like a worked out, you know, here's the first scene and here's going to do, you know, it was just a general kind of tone. What could it, you know, what's the vibe of the film? What's the, you know, where's it going to go? Who are you going to introduce in this? Um, and I, and I started with Janie, with Janie Lloyd. And they're like, no, we can't, we're not going back to that story. I said, no, 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 no. You can't just leave her <laughs> hanging exactly. out. Exactly. And I, you know, as again, as young and as stupid as I was, you know, I could have lost the job, but I said, no, no, listen, hear me out. What if, and then I pitched what, what the story was, you know, you know, Michael Myers was, you know, we saw that scene and the guy came in and he, you know, and then, and, and the shape was gone and Jamie's crying. And what if he took her too? Oh, okay. Okay. You know, then it's like, I get it. So that was the beginning of it all. And then they sent me off to, um, to write a treatment. And it was very, all of it was very kind of like steps. Like, well, if you write a good treatment, maybe we'll hire you to write the script. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like they guaranteed me a job. They just said, you know, write that. And if we like it, good. And if it's, you know, maybe we need another writer to write the script. But, you know, we'll, and if we, even if we like your treatment, we might not hire you to write the screenplay. But you know what? I wasn't going to say no to any of it. <laughs> sure. It's, it's, <laughs> Off I once went. again, it's another opportunity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just remember spending, you know, and they didn't give me a lot of time. It was like, can you get it done in three days kind of thing? You no know, pressure, and I remember them. I do remember them saying they had a start date to shoot. The, like they were supposed to have been in production already. Um, and they had missed that because the script was whatever didn't work. Um, but they had a crew kind of on standby in Salt Lake City and all of these things were ready to go they'd even and john beekler had been brought in to make the mask the mask was existed before there was a script i do remember that he'd take they they knew it was going to be george wilbur and they had already brought him in and done a, a, a mold of his face and that mask was I, I don't think it was sitting in most of his office but i know it was in the in later when they got into pre-production the mask was just sitting there even before sure. there was a script yep so the, all that stuff was already kind your, of like what was your initial impression 
sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, uh, what was your What was your initial impression when you walked in? You saw that mask sitting there because I mean, you've, I mean, you you obviously you you own a copy from from the actual film. Uh, yeah. But you know, what was your impression? You're like, that's not the shape, or wow, that's cool. Um, that's the best one since the original. I mean, kind of tell us your your impression. Yeah, I, I, I remember they had production offices at this place called Lantana, which is kind of a, it was the home of like Skywalker Sound, and a lot of production companies were there in Santa Monica, and I remember that's that's where they kind of were doing prep on the movie. And um, so I remember I are you still there, Chris? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry, I know somebody calling in. Um, so I remember walking in. It was Paul Freeman's office. And it was like the the mask was on a little you know shelf behind him, and they have a poster of Halloween Four up there too. Um, and I remember seeing it, and I was the thing I was happy about was it looked more like the mask. I was like, oh my god, thank God they're not using that thing from Halloween Five. Oh God, yeah, the witch, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I remember seeing like the lip had that little curve to it, you know, and I was like, well, it looks, it's like they're, it's like it's getting there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't feel like it was wrong, but I was I was excited just you know to, at the time you know so excited just to be there that you know maybe I would have been excited if I'd seen the Halloween five mask, but probably not. I probably would have told them like you need to not do that. Um, yeah, definitely. But I think they knew that was not good. And then um, yeah, but that was already done. And yeah, when my but my first reaction was um, cool. <laughs> like we're we're making there's like just the whole thing was surreal because. Oh my God! It's a Halloween movie, and and I'm part of it. Yeah, no, that's and again, you know, like um, you know, you you write the treatment, everything's history, right. keeping this thing moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. Then you get the job to write the screenplay. Uh, yep. Were there meetings with anyone after your first draft, and subsequently every draft that you did before shooting? I mean, because I I know you read oh, you wrote yeah. a ton of them. So what did your yeah. Yeah, kind of paint us a picture of that. Gosh, I mean, it it just was like working around the clock. You know, I just, there was very little sleep. (laughs) It felt like sometimes very few showers just because there wasn't even time to do that. You know, it was just like working in a cave and you're just, you know, slaving away and through the long hours of the night and, and into the morning and watching the sun come up more times than I can tell you. Just around the clock, you know, and, and, you know, I was the slave and they certainly played the part of the slave driver and I don't blame them. <laughs> you know, here was this young guy willing to do all this and, and they were going to work me. Um, I wasn't making and a you whole were lot still of money, un, unrepresented or were you represented by the Correct. I was wow. not represented. Okay. Um, and it's funny cause I remember later Malik told me, he's like, you know, one of the things that my dad really responded to you and why, when you walked out of that meeting, why he, he really liked you is you never once mentioned the word agent. Nice. Nobody has ever done that in his whole career. Like they're all like, Oh, you can call my people, you know, and you weren't that person. So he knew you were real. You wanted this for other reasons than just to, you know, attach your name to something that's well known. He understood that this, you know, meant something. So that was, I guess, again, I mean, I didn't have an agent for him to call anyway, but (laughs) But I, I guess part of being humble helped. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they 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 work you around the clock. Um, you get yeah. a first draft done. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll get into the version that I read, which was like the fifth or sixth, I think. Do you do you still right. have a copy of that very first draft that you turned I in mean, before they I make? I can't tell you just like how many people ask me that question, and I mean not even on an every now and then basis. I get that question like 
weekly from some right. fans somewhere in the world through social media, Facebook, whatever. I, I, I don't, and I don't know exactly where it would be the very, very, very first, like hot off the presses script. I don't know if I still have that. I would love um, to read that one for sure. Everybody tells me it. I'd probably <laughs> love to read it too. It was, it was a little different. It was, it was way too long. I remember because again, when you're writing the, in that kind of vacuum and in that, that speed. I just remember that first draft was crazy. It was like 140 pages or some, it was crazy. It was so overblown, you know, and I was probably, you know, being young and, you know, not experienced in how it should be done. Um, even though I'd written scripts, but it just, it, it just, it was like too much of a good thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like you're trying sure. to put too much into this. And I do remember most of his reaction to it was, it's beautiful. You know, he always used the word beautiful. It's so beautiful. Uh, but it's too much. And you're telling too much story in this one movie. So he's like, I want you to basically cut this in half. And we can and do two he, movies, right? That's what it was. It was exactly <laughs> his thought. He's like, you have the makings of six and seven, which is fantastic. We that's will great. save this part of it for seven. It's a little bit like George Lucas. Remember, any, I don't know if you know when he, he wrote Star Wars. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, he talked about, you know, I had too much story and I had to just, you know, tell a part of it. So it, maybe it was a, not comparing to Star Wars, but it was that kind of like you wrote too much. Thank you. But <laughs> we need to we need to simplify this. Sure. Sure. Um, so so yeah, that was that was that version that, that you're talking about that was just too much and okay. too long and too too much story. So, so um, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of how the meetings went with him. Um, mm -hmm. It's been reported on numerous sites that that you got a chance as the writer to partake in the audition. Is that is that true? Never. No, I don't know who would have. I never went to a single audition. Never. Okay, because there's been no. there's been a lot of websites that said that. I'm like, that's mm -mm. pretty unorthodox nope. for a writer to partake in that. No. But if so, I that is it, cool. And as honestly. Out. Even if I was invited, I wouldn't have had time. I was too busy, like scrambling on the next rewrite. You know, there were they were they were prepping all this stuff and casting and hiring crew and you know, all the minutia uh, that you go through to you know get a movie set for for production. I didn't. I, I wouldn't have had time, even if they had extended the invitation. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd gotten the you know Malik was kind enough to share with me some of the tapes of the people that had come through the door, but I never got to sit in the room. Right. And, and maybe some of these sites are getting it mixed up for where you were really pushing for like Christopher Lee to play Dr. Wynn and oh, you were really oh. pushing for certain people to come on board. Who would you have well, pitched that to? Would it have been to Malik? I think it was to Freeman, to Paul Freeman. Um, you know, he was Did he kind still of have the, the eyebrow charged. raised? Yeah, just, he wasn't, <laughs> you know, I don't know, man. It's just, you know, I don't, I don't mean to speak ill of anyone because no, truly no. like, you know, listen, I'm, I am, I will always be, you know, the most grateful person on the planet because I was picked. But, you know, there were just a lot of challenges. I, and I felt it from the beginning in working with, you know, certain people and who just, I felt like didn't think of it as the way I thought of it as, as, as this phenomenon, you know, like the, the chance the, to make it to special. Me, well, special, but also the I, respectful and logical. And, right. oh, this is the next, next natural step in the evolution. If we're going to keep this story going, this is, you know, I just had ideas in my head that I think were a little too far flung <laughs> for sure. the, the people who were seeing this as, oh, you know, 
I mean, I hate to say it, but almost like a made-for-TV mentality. You know, uh, that's like, not good. Just, that's not good. Because their um, pedigree was in that from that world. Not that they hadn't done features, whatever, but it just there is there's there are certain producers, certain people in the world of production who come from television, and in that in those days, television was not what it is today. You know, where television is almost like comparable to a lot of feature films. TV was a little bit of a, a ghetto. <laughs> and, sure, and, no, I I can totally understand that. And again, I don't mean to cut you off, but I mean, no, 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 just, just from, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I, I, I love stories that have a continuing arc throughout a, a, a season mm-hmm. and yep. where it's not the bad guy of the week type thing. And there's a lot of that stuff in the 80s and 90s, but right. you watch a lot of this stuff now that makes you think. And there's just like these layers to the onion that just keeps going. And it just yeah. it's so riveting that right. I would rather in, in this day and age, I would rather watch a TV series than uh, a two hour film. And I'll tell you why. No, it's so true. I mean, they've created a whole new dynamic of absolutely of, you know, because of the streaming world we live in of how you can view you know TV. They don't even call it TV. They just call it content now. Exactly. Um, yeah, but it's but... it's just I I like to spend time with the characters, and when mm-hmm. a two hour movie is over, you might have to wait two years or three years if yeah. they're going to make a sequel. No, you're right. Right. To, to, to so see those people way, again. And going back to six, you know, I saw it as the oh, it's the continuing chapter of all this stuff. You know, yep. and by the way, not only am I going to give you a continuation of the most recent two movies with four and five, I'm going to connect it back to the first one and the second one. And that's all going to kind of come full circle. And by the way, I'm also going to have a few little references in there to your third movie, which has nothing to do with anything. But I'm going to make that a little bit, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge as well. Uh, can <laughs> so you, can you would, share what that was? Well, I mean, small things, you know, details of like Mrs. Blankenship. She was oh, that's right, Mini Blankenship, Halloween Three. You know, I mean, she—I don't know that she was that Mini Blankenship, but I liked the nod. I liked knowing that, you know, maybe that's that lady. Never know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I just—it's like universe building before they even use that term. Um, I like it, and that's—I think that's what I was attempting to do without knowing that, you know, having enough probably experience to know. I had to do it better, but, but I think I was trying to connect a lot of dots and build on what had come before and take it onward. So, and I thought that was my job. And then I'm suddenly hearing the feedback from people who just are like, well, you know, why do we need to do that? Who, who's going to know who that is other than you? Um, you know, and the, several thousand other and the, fans. <laughs> well, millions. At the, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, and I felt in a weird responsibility, like I felt like I was the voice of those people, <laughs> and not that I know your job, Mr. Producer, but I do know these movies, and I do know what's important, and I do know that the house needs to look like the Myers house, not like that atrocity in the last movie. Oh, I God. do know that you know, and just. The movie in my head was like, oh, it's going to look like South Pasadena and it's going to, and it's going to have these references visually and thematically to the earlier movies and connecting all of that. So, you know, I, you you just, you know, you realize, I realized very early on in the process that it wasn't going to be that. Um, And that I was, you know, I was in danger of kind of overstepping bounds. So I needed to rein things back a little bit. I did sometimes, and I didn't at other times when it just became outrageous. But <laughs> yeah, that, that I, actually... I certainly came in with some strong opinions. Let's put it that way. 
and and sometimes the squeaky squeaky wheel gets the grease, but sometimes it can also kick you right out the door too. Um, oh, so, without yeah. a doubt. And I, you know, and not like I came across egotistical or you know nasty to anyone, but when I saw bullshit, I called it for what it was. <laughs> and some people just don't want to be called for their bullshit, you know. And uh, as young and as naive as I was, I still had a backbone that was very much uh, it was like my east coast upbringing you know it's a little that bit more like bothered some people too because they're like oh, Who, who's this yeah, kid no. coming in without anybody representing him telling us what we should be doing you know it's well i'll tell you who i'll tell you who it didn't bother all right everyone that was uh the first half of part one with dan Ferens and uh episode two with him and there you go man we're we're uh we're 20 minutes in. Dylan, do you have any comments? Oh, man, where do we start? Um, you know, I, I, I found it very interesting listening to this, and, and especially part one in this. You know, they, they tried to go into production of Halloween 6 immediately after 5, and it sat in production limbo for four or five years. And then when they finally get rolling, they want to rush through it. You know, they're trying to just get it done, get it done, get it done, which... I mean, if you've already invested four or five years of getting it out, you might as well just take your time and make it the best you possibly can. You know, half the reason the movie has the issues it does is that it, they just tried to get it done and get it out. Which you know, and I, I know that has nothing to do with Dan. You know, uh, you know, he talked about his original vision going well into two hours, which of course you know is a bit much for a, any horror movie. But I don't know. What do you think about that? I guess if I have to say at this point, before we jump back into the second half of part two, um, is, yes, Daniel Farrens is listed as the writer of Halloween 6 on every screen credit, IMDb credit, anything that's covered Halloween 6 out there. Yes, he is. he went down as the written by Daniel Farrens. But what actually came out, he held that title as a figurehead, not as actually what the finished product was. Because there's so many things that was not written by him that he had absolutely zero control over, but he still got the writing credit because it was in his contract. I think there's a lot of instances in, in, in history where someone getting the credit isn't necessarily a good thing. Yep. All right, any other comments before we move on? No, I think we can go ahead and get into part, or the second half of part two. All right, well, this is Halloween Unleashed. I'm Chris Morgan, that's Dylan Cloud, and we'll, we will be back at the end to wrap this up. Enjoy. I'll tell you who it didn't bother was Mustafa. He liked it. <laughs> oh yeah i mean i can see that was, but he, he actually i think i think in a way i and I, again a lot of this was filtered through malik after the fact but you know i think when i there was a specific occasion i remember when i confronted a certain producer um about the behaviors and about the lack of care and uh, and concern about what we were actually doing and that it was all like bean counting uh, rather than making something good. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it, it was a bad situation. And <laughs> in, in Mustafa's presence, and uh, 
I was basically ordered to apologize after the fact. And I said, I won't, I won't, I will not apologize. And yeah. I remember Malik saying, my father thought what you said was um, very brave, but also very like good for you. You spoke your mind. Wow. You know, that's, and that's fantastic because, you know, that is, that is a very risky move, but you know, obviously one that mm-hmm. paid off, but uh, at the same time, I don't um, know if it paid off because the damage had been done. You know, this was, this was, this, this took place after the movie had been oh, completed okay. and before there were reshoots and, gotcha. and, okay. you know, and everybody's, it was at the point in the process where everybody's finger pointing, you know, oh, you should have been this and you should have done that. And I, you know, and I was like, listen, I'm not finger pointing, but I'm telling you, I already told you all this stuff before you went off and did it. You know, and now you've got this mess on your hands and now you got to fix it. And I don't know how you're going to fix it. Donald's gone. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to yeah. get there for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So <laughs> when, when did you meet Joe Chappelle? Uh, was it on hmm. set beforehand to no. discuss changes in the scripts? And, um, mm-hmm. well, much before, much, much earlier. I don't remember if my first meeting was with him at Mustafa's office or is at the production office in Santa Monica, but it was either one of those. But I remember right away, it was just like, we're in this together. Really? You know, he welcomed, yeah. He welcomed me. Uh, I remember he came to my house a couple times. We drove okay. around, went out together. I remember driving around LA with him and he was from Chicago and they had brought him out um, to, you know, to, to direct the film, to prep the film. So he was here and, and um, he was he was married, a young father, I think, at the time and had their first baby or about to, I think. Um, but he was just as friendly as can be, you know, and I remember I, I would always defer to him. I'm like, you're the director, you know, it's your movie. And he goes, no, it's our movie. Wow. And that's yeah. going to that's going to uncover a lot as we as we get going, because we're starting to get into the meat and the pit and the potatoes here. <laughs> okay. So that, I, I mean, I totally, I, I've heard so many different uh, stories, both good and bad, mostly bad, but you're mm. painting that story as a, he walked on like, you know, Hey, this is very much, we're in this Our together. Thing. We're, we're a team. Yeah. We're, oh, yeah. we're a family. It's, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, and he so, tried to set that tone from the beginning and listen, and I'm going to right off the bat, I'm going to tell you and everybody, like, I think that Joe Chappelle got the worst rap of all on this thing because I think his intentions from the get-go were actually really good ones. They were just being stymied, much like my ideas, by some upper management people, we'll call them, who would kind of creatively cut him off at the knees at times. And I think, you know, the intense pressure of making a movie, and, and by the way, not only is this just, this isn't like Halloween, the original Halloween, where they went off like a bunch of, you know, college kids or graduates who were, you know, making a movie out of the backs of each other's vans. This was like a big production, you know, with the big trucks and union this and, and executives from studios. And I remember the executives were walking around that set with Mickey Mouse jackets. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. was hilarious. Um, but so I think Joe was the more, a tremendous amount of pressure. This was only going to be his second movie. He'd made an indie movie, at, I think, fresh out of college. The, at a film school Thieves Quartet. Chicago. Thieves Quartets is what it was. Quartets, I'm um, sorry. Quartet, yeah. And um, 
I think that was the movie that impressed the Weinstein's enough to, you know, get him in there and, and put him up for this. And, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any say in who they were going to hire. I remember the original director that I was told was going to make the movie was Fred Walton, yep. who was known as the one of stranger calls, which I was thrilled about. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it's so scary. And he's going to make it suspenseful and it's not going to be a gore fest. And we're going to, we're going to make this cool. Um, so the whole time I was writing at that point before Joe came on, I, I was writing in my head to the look of, you know, almost like when a stranger calls me Halloween, you know, meets Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> but there was, you know, that darkness of that movie and that mood and the slow building of tension. And I thought, you know, and even I wrote a scene, you know, in homage to his famous, you know, he's in the house, he's right behind you, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's in the movie. Um, just the way I wrote it. But, uh, yeah, so so I was I was under the impression Fred Walton was our director, and then for whatever I don't think it was creative reasons as much as I think money um, that Fred just wasn't able to make the deal. Right. And um, uh, so the next thing I knew, they were, oh, we hired a director, and his name's Joe Chappelle, and you guys need to meet, and so we met, and we went out several times, um, hung out several times. I remember driving around in his rental car <laughs> around LA and he was playing me this music. Um, um, Peter Gabriel, the last temptation of Christ. <laughs> that's funny. actually. And he's like, that's the sound of the movie. And it was very eerie, you know, it was like a really scary kind of like, chanting Gregorian kind of vibe to some of it, but with this kind of like weird rhythmic stuff going on. And I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that's kind of cool. <laughs> so I'm you know, like, okay, this guy's feeling it. And so, you know, listen, he wasn't, he wasn't just coming into the mood to go shoot it. He was thinking about, you know, the, the pace of the thing and the, um, the tone, you know, the mood he wanted to set with it. And um, so I was like, cool, great. We're off to a pretty good start. I thought. And yeah, um, well, that, so, that, yeah, that was the beginning. This question comes later, but I don't mind asking it now since we're kind of talking about him because it totally it sounds totally different in the very beginning. There's mm-hmm. there's been numerous reports uh, that he was absolutely was not a fan of Halloween or or making a good Halloween six. He just gave three craps about his three picture deal with Miramax. Let's say you, I mean, you met him, you hung out with him. What was your impression of that and what people have said afterwards? You know, I, I, again, I just go to the, I I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying he did everything perfectly. I don't think he did, but who does don't think no. Right. And let me tell you, I've directed and I, it's not easy. Um, but what I will say is that I don't think that's true. I don't think he, what he, he set out to make a, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Sure. Um, he certainly didn't set out to make a bad Halloween movie, but I think he had slightly different ideas. I think he, he was more of that kind of young director who wants to make it his own. You know, he didn't necessarily feel beholden to follow up on say Halloween five, you know, or even, even the first one, like he wanted, he had this, I, maybe, maybe too lofty. And again, maybe it was because of age or experience or whatever. And I, I don't fault him for it, but I think, you know, every director wants to bring something new and put their own imp- imprint on what they're making. And I get it. But at the same time, I was the one to kind of remind everyone like, you know, that's cool, <laughs> but you are making Halloween six, not Joe Chappelle's Halloween or Joe Chappelle's, exactly. you know, Sam Hain or whatever you want to call it. It, This is not a remake. The next 
chapter and you need to be in the universe of what has come before or you're not making something else. Exactly. So there, that was the, the I don't call it conflict, but it was that, that, that difference of opinion of how to visualize and tell the story. Uh, do you think, you know, do you think so for this being his, do you think for this being his feature, his first feature, uh, you have major studios involved, you do have big mm-hmm. time producers involved. Uh, right. Do you, do you think it was more about, hey, I need to, I need to show my dominance early so that I'm respected yeah. more? Do you think that's that's what it was? Oh, not at all, not at all. Uh, Joe was was was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't mean to sound this to sound terrible, but he was kind of a pussycat. You know, there was. He was not an egotist. He was, um, you know, and, and I think there was, I think he was just a, and who wouldn't be? I would have been probably worse than him. I think he was just terrified of all of the levels of people that were watching his every move. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't think he came in as like, I'm going to run the show at all. No, he was far from it. I think he was being ran more than he was running. If that makes sense. I oh, felt yeah. on yeah that he was being manipulated a lot of times or being stymied like you have one hour to do these next three pages <laughs> you know just crazy shit that in obstacles that they were putting in front of him that were not fair um wow. i think even taking this production to salt lake city at that time of year was already lessening his chances of being successful because it was snowing out so what yeah. do you do when there's freaking snow on the ground and it's supposed to be October 31st. And in fact, it was, we started shooting on like October 30th. Yeah. We're, 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 we're definitely on, on our way there. Um, yeah. Now, so again, I mean, just in terms of Joe and how, like how he ran things, I felt like he was being run more than he was running it. Yeah. That's, sure. that was my, that was my impression. So anyway, um, I will, I'll tell you this and you know, a lot of people and critics and, and, and fans that just hate the film, you know, point out all the bad things about it. But I got to tell you, mm-hmm. you know, as someone who went to film school, I've, I've directed things too. I've produced things mm-hmm. uh, too. So, I mean, I understand like the, like the challenge to try to please your bosses, but mm-hmm. I got to tell you, man, you know, as a 17 year old walking into the theater for the first time, <laughs> you know, and made me feel old, right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, well, I mean, you're only a few years older than me, you know, like, I was a few years older, but not too much. Yeah. Not, 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 you're not too much older, but, right, um, right. but bottom line, exactly. But bottom <laughs> line is, is even, even when the producers cut, uh, was starting to make its, its, its run around oh, right. like, like oh, the bootleg scenes. I gotta yeah. tell you, man, there was, I mean, it, it started with that for me. Like, um, yeah. I, I gotta say, you know, his, you know, the way he uh, created atmosphere and mood and mm-hmm. style and the way yeah. he moved the camera and the way, mm-hmm. you know, like the color palette. I know a lot of that was his mm-hmm. DP, but his DP and him had to be on the oh, same yeah. page to come up with a lot oh, of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, got to say, sure. man, there's a lot of things about that film stylistically that I'm not mad at any of it. And mm-hmm. I think no, that. Not at all. You, you know, a lot I, of it's very beautiful and it's, 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 you know, and we, we did have, in one hand, we had the benefit of shooting, you know, in the fall, you know, on Halloween week, you know, it was the first week of production. Um, and you know, it was before the first snowfall, which I think hit the week after, but, um, 
you know, we got some of those great shots of like the leaves falling off the tree. It was always real. It wasn't like in the first movie or the Halloween four where they were shooting in the spring and, and, and PAs were running around with bags of dead leaves to make it look like it was October sure. in the Midwest, you know, with palm trees in the background. what you saw, right. You, what you saw was all like actual leaves flying off the tree, <laughs> the big, you know, yard full of just leaves. That was all just there. I mean, the art department in a way had it easy on that movie because they didn't have to do it. It was all real. Um, so we had the benefit of shooting in the real season um, when it was beautiful and it had that kind of the sun kind of was hitting you in a certain way in certain parts, parts of the day. And it had that kind of dreamy um other, you know, you, you some, when, when it's fall, it feels like fall. You know, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, parts no. Of the, I think they had the benefit of that, but also, yeah, they had a, the, the DP Billy Dixon had a great eye and he was a great guy. And I really, I learned from him. He actually took time to just show me how to, you know, load a Panavision at the time. <laughs> and he was, showed me the lenses and I being disappointed they weren't shooting it like the anamorphic frame like the first film but i don't know i don't remember what the reasoning was for that but i was like wait a minute halloween is a is a, is a widescreen movie not a right. you know 185 scope um but they you know I, whatever i don't remember what the reason was why they didn't but i remember that was technically one of the things i was a little like wait a minute <laughs> stop <laughs> right exactly uh, no there yeah. but i i've you know everybody that had that i've gotten into discussions with i said look you want to you want to hate on me for saying that that's like one of my favorite sequels of the entire series i said name me a sequel or name me a film in this entire universe of this franchise before or after that had the look the feel and the style that that film had because mm -hmm. there isn't one right no and, no it's not and there's not. I mean, I agree. And I think there's some, listen, I, I think, you know, having, you know, now 20 some odd years down the pike, having seen what else has been done, and I think there's a bit really good stuff that has been done, but there's been some not so good stuff that's been done. And I'm like, you know what, you know, ours is not the, the worst of the franchise. It's, it's, I think we had a lot of problems in terms of how the story was ultimately, you know, cobbled together on film, but, um, you know, and I think some questionable decisions were made in casting and things like that. But, um, you know, I think in terms of the way it looks and the atmosphere and, and even some of the moments of that movie, I think they, they stand above a lot of the other ones. They I think still hold real, up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know, there's a, you know, you of course you always look back at things you've done and you're like, my God, you know, this or that, and that again. And this one was an extreme example of that, not only because it was my first movie and it meant so much, you know, as a writer, but, um, you know, that was, that took a while to accept <laughs> that it didn't sure. come off well. But uh, I was, you know, to this, I, I just, I still have such a fondness in my heart for the people involved from Paul Rudd, of course, and Marianne and, and Mariah and Devin and all the, you know, people who were a part of it. And we just were all these young kids, you know, running around Salt Lake just City. Excited, and yeah. Just so happy to be there. And, and that's what I take away. So I, you know, you know, so many, you, you know, we talked a little, you know, before about, you know, the, the troll culture, the, you know, keyboard warriors who just always have to look at the dark side of everything and point out the flaws of everything. And I just tend to look at it as like, God, I was like the luckiest person ever to have that opportunity. And um, just, again, just an exciting time of life. Oh, absolutely. So um, you being a writer, being on set, that is you know, I got, I got to say, man, you, that, that's a big, big thing, even for someone mm -hmm. like fresh, like, uh, right. like you were at that time. 
How were mm-hmm. you taken as a writer being on set? Because there's this like, you know, behind the scenes footage, I guess, that you were shooting with your VHS yeah. camera that yeah. that, that <laughs> we've all VHS, seen by this was, point. It was high eight millimeter. Come on. I was like high tech. What are you talking about? VHS? Oh, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> VHS was the was the was the thing back then. I was cutting <laughs> edge with my high eight camcorder. Let me tell you. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah. No. So listen, I wasn't there the whole time in Salt Lake City. I was there for about maybe the first 10 days, I want to say something like that. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't the whole shoot. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, part of it was they knew they could keep working me for rewrites and it's easier to just keep me close. Um, you know, but I, I was in the hotel with everybody and it was fun and games and, and, and all of that. Um, cause there's nothing to do in Salt Lake city after the lights go down. It's like, I know, it's like living, I was in, out there. Like living, living in Santa Mira, you know, from Halloween three, like everyone <laughs> inside curfew. So, um, what, who, who was approaching you to to re, to do all these rewrites, and was it ever explained why they're doing all these rewrites on set? Uh, well, I mean, I think it probably came at that point. You know, when production begins, it becomes this whole new crew of people that are, you know, just communicating. So there's you know line producers and production managers, and you know all kinds of people that are you know kind of heading up the charge in terms of the making schedules and things like that. Um, so, but I, you know, I mean, the, the, it would all kind of filter down from the producers. Um, I remember we had our first table read of the script, our only table read of the script in the hotel, at a, in a conference room in the hotel. And they were still casting locals. So we didn't have all the parts cast, like the Barry Sims guy hadn't been cast and he was a local. And um, I, I was like, the first time I met him, I was like, you were in Footloose and uh, Silent Night, <laughs> Deadly Night. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> he I remember, but, oh, by the way, I did this. I, I have to correct myself now because now it just came back to me. I did sit in auditions in Salt Lake City because they were just being done in like a conference room. They weren't like formal auditions like we had in L.A. I didn't go to any of those, but the Salt Lake City locals, I did see some of those auditions. Gotcha. OK. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, moving forward, because, I mean, we could be here all day with the. I know, I know, I know. know for so, sure. um let me ask this. Um, let me just move on to what people are probably wanting me to ask is Donald, okay. Ple- Donald Pleasance, you know, yeah. when, when did you meet him, speak with him and what was your relationship with him while you and he were both on set? Mm, um, I first met him on a phone call. Um, and I would think it was something that Malik arranged for me just because he knew. I got you again, didn't I? You son of a bitch. I know you said there's going to be a part four. I don't know what you're going to end part three with, but it's probably going to make me punch my phone. It's suspense, man. That's what that's what the original two Halloweens were so good at. You know, is building the suspense. Now, if you just let him stab everybody everywhere, you got Halloween 2018 and the eventual Halloween kills. I mean, it's, there's no excitement there. Yeah, he's killing a bunch of people, but the fun is getting getting through the ride, man. That's true, and speaking of suspense, you know, it's one of the great things about Halloween 6, and, and, and another amazing tidbit of this is, you know, we've talked, you know, people talk about the atmosphere of, you know, Halloween 4 and things like that, but Halloween 6 has the absolute best tone in the series, and, and Dan touches on that, is because this was a Halloween movie that actually shot in Halloween season. Imagine that. What a novel concept. 
Take a yeah. whole year to make a movie. Start shooting it in the fall so you don't have to dick around. And then take a whole year to get it right. Don't start shooting in the spring so it has to be done by October. I agree. And again, that is one of the things. I mean, that's one of the things that the new Halloween 2018 got right. They shot in uh, the middle of winter. And I'm like, that's fantastic. You're in a colder area. It actually looks cold there. That's one of the things I liked about it. So... You know, it's not hard to do that. You just plan for it. And, you know, I've been out to Salt Lake City. I've, I've visited all the all the sites from 4 through 6, and I visited there in a February. And it is fucking cold out there. There's a lot of snow, and it has that just that dreary look that the entire Halloween 6 film had. And I'm like, for, for those that didn't like... Salt Lake City for four through six, which, by the way, I love Salt Lake City for four, four through six. Oh yeah, other than the Myers house, yeah. Well, yeah. I, well, I'm I'm not going to give anything away because that that could be in the next episode, and I don't want to give that away yet. Uh, but, I mean, the one in five. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but bottom line is is you know I don't know why they don't try to go back there for other sequels and just. Shoot it in the colder months if you don't want to have an early winter like they had um, in the October of '94 when they started shooting. Okay, well then go there and if you really want to shoot something um, early in the year to have it out by October, go there in February. There's not a lot of snow on the ground there. I mean, there is some, but you know you can work around it. You worked around it in six, and there was snow on the ground. Yeah, I'm really astonished by how they do that because, you know, when you watch the movie, you know, it just looks like a normal fall. You know, people walking around in like a flannel shirt or a jean jacket. Those actors must have been freezing their fucking nuts off for that entire production. Yeah. I thought it was funny. I wasn't surprised. And goddamn poor Dan, man. Just that's all I can think through this whole thing is he must have just been. Ripping his goddamn hair out for this entire production. Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> so now every time I call him, I'm going to start it off with Daniel. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Because the word Daniel click with me. It, it means something. It's It's a strong name. Every boy in America knows the name Daniel, and that's what clicked with me. That's a surprisingly good Mustafa impression. What are you looking forward to next? What can you think that uh, the audience is going to expect? Well, you know, Daniel started touching on the rewrites that were going on and, and, and the always changing onset problems. Um, kind of getting in more detail on that and just kind of what, you know, what happens what he found out about the reshoots and, and what was going on and his reaction to that and where they were taking the story and, and, and you know, in maybe what he thought about George Wilbur being replaced. And, and like you said, the, 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 the incest angle for lack of a better term for what that was originally meant to be and what it got twisted into. So just kind of the conclusion or the next couple episodes, just him kind of being more concise with what his original vision was and how it kind of ended up with the, you know, half-burning half dumpster fire that we ended up getting. 
Yep, it's unfortunate. We're gonna. It's 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 so hard for me to comment. Uh, people are probably like, "Man, you know, you guys had a much better closeout last week." But to be honest, we're getting in that stage where if I say something, it may tip the hat of what's coming, or and I know the next part. Just chopping it up and listening to it, you know, getting it ready for us so that we can have a discussion about it. Um, I can already tell you, man, it's. You know, if people have liked what they've heard so far, the last two parts is about to blow their fucking mind like crazy. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. You know, it's it's like, you know, a, a good trilogy or, or a good, you know, saga of movies. You know, the, the, the opening draws you in, the middle keeps you there. Now you're just waiting. All right. How, how is this possibly going to wrap up and end? You know, all all you know, it's coming full circle. All my questions are are, are approaching. You know, it's 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 anticipation at its best. I agree, you know, and I, I'm going to leave it there because, like I said, if I comment anymore, I'm going to start giving away the rest of it, and you don't need, even need to hear him say it. So I would rather the words come from him because he was the one there, and I would just be regurgitating and paraphrasing stuff that he needs to be saying, which he will next week. But, you know, on the fir- on the first part, you know, over a thousand downloads. We're at 1070 as we speak, which is fantastic. Which again, yeah, that's that's outstanding. It's performing. You know, it's one of our best episodes recently. Or uh, well, obviously, I'll say your episode. You talked to Daniel, but it's on track to approaching the number of views that the the H6 mask episode got. Um, you know, I want to check back in a year from now and, and see where we're at because uh, I bet it might even hit 10k. It's very possible, you know. Um, the, you know, we're up to what I shared with you and Zachman. We're up to over eight thousand on the H six mask episode now. Uh, when we recorded that um, that season premiere, we were at over six thousand. I thought that was a milestone, and absolutely it is. I mean, I mean, you think about, you know, we're just fans running our dick liquor on a on a fan podcast. You know, we're we're not celebrities that have their own show like an Eric Bischoff or Bruce Pritchard and people that that can draw in those type of numbers and so when you look at Halloween Unleashed when it started and I'm even going to go back to HMMAT when the average audience and I'm not shitting you when HMMAT ended 102 people on average and I'm not saying viewership is everything because this is a hobby. You should just want to do it. But at the same time, you know as well as I do that if you're going to give up time with your wife, if you're going to give up time with your family, if you're going to give up time that you could be absolutely doing something else, you want to be able to put content out there that people are going to hear and that they're going to appreciate to make you feel like your your time was well spent. I mean, I was more than thankful to the 102 average listeners that listened week in and week out to that show. I am more than thankful for for them, and I'm absolutely humbled by it. But when I started Unleashed, completely changing the brand and moving in a completely different direction, it started out with 35 people. That was it. So I lost, like, what, 70% of my audience pretty much. 
That's all right, because now we've grown a new audience. It's even better than the original. Well, that's well, that's my point. Is we're just over a year into it, and we're averaging a thousand downloads a week on this episode. That that's fantastic. You know. And, oh yeah, that's great. So, you know, one little tweak. I mean, you you've grown seven eight hundred percent. That's it's fantastic. I'll take those numbers all day. And so. When I look at that and look at what the H6 mask episode did, I'm like, man, 8,000 people listen to that. That That is absolutely remarkable. A lot of ears that then tell their friends and then tell their friends. Exactly. And finally, because we keep talking about it every week, the Facebook group is starting to grow, which is good. Yeah, we're approaching 450 now, I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's it's exactly what what I envisioned when when we started this thing, and you know, there's no telling where it's going to end up, but I'm enjoying the ride for sure. Oh yeah, I'm glad to be here with you for it. Well, everybody, uh, from Dylan Cloud, from myself, um, from the entire Unleashed admin and moderator group on the page, we thank you for listening. And we thank you for tuning in each and every single week, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Halloween Unleashed, featuring the cutting room floor. Be sure to follow us at anchor.fm slash Halloween Unleashed and on our official Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Halloween Unleashed. For all video versions of the cutting room floor, please visit youtube.com slash user slash DylanCloud97 and subscribe. Be sure to share our episode on social media and we'll be back next week with an all new episode.